I want to invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to 2 Samuel chapter 22. 2 Samuel 22. And the first part of this chapter will be our text this Lord's Day. Uh, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that we're now towards the end of 2 Samuel uh, in a section that doesn't really follow chronologically. These last few chapters have been uh, pieced together uh, by the narrator to give us really a, a portrait of David's reign and rule. And so uh, we looked at chapter 21, which uh, talked about a famine that took place during uh, three years over the course of David's reign. And then the second half of that chapter, I looked through multiple battles that the Israelites had with the Philistines. And now we come to chapter 22, which is David's song of deliverance. Uh, this essentially is a psalm of David. It's uh, a collection of songs or of writings that are his response to the deliverance of God. And it is a rich chapter. So uh, we're going to look at it over the course of three Lord's Days. Today we're going to look at verses 1 through 20 where we read about David calling upon the Lord. Uh, then we'll look at verses 21 through 43 which look at David's walk and what it means to walk in righteousness and integrity. And then at the end of the chapter, verses 44 through 51, we'll look at David's praise to the Lord. But for today, we'll begin with the first 20 verses of this chapter. And out of reverence for God's Word, if you're able to, I want to invite you to stand once more as I read for us the inspired Word of God. And this is what that Word says. And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior. You save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And I am saved from my enemies. For the waves of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress I called upon the Lord. To my God I called from his temple he heard my voice, and my cry came to his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He was seen on the wings of the wind. He made darkness around him his canopy. Thick clouds, a gathering of water. Out of the brightness before him, coals of fire flamed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven. And the Most High uttered his voice. And he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were laid bare 
at the rebuke of the Lord and at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. If you would pray with me. Father, we pray as we consider your word today that we would delight in you. That we would come to a better understanding of what it means that you indeed are our rock, our fortress, our deliverer. That we might see the, the greatness of what it means to be rescued. And Lord, that in all these things that we would glorify you in our response to the gospel of our Lord Jesus. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Over the years, I've developed a game that I play with my children. Even now, as my children are becoming adults, we still play this. We will ride around in the car, and especially if we're on a little trip, I'll kind of hide the, the radio screen from them with a piece of paper or something, and I'll, I'll flip through the channels. And the, the game is that they have to see who can be first to guess the song that comes on next. They either guess the song or the person singing the song. And, and I enjoy this game. I'm pretty good at this game. If it's a song I've heard before, I'm, I'm pretty good at guessing it. And I, I enjoy doing that. But I was a bit humbled this week as I took a song quiz and I didn't do so well on it. And this was the title of the quiz I took. Love song or worship song? Contemporary worship song, I should say. Now, I'm not going to go through this entire quiz with you because it's rather depressing, but I will mention to you four lyrics, and we're not going to ask anybody to raise their hand or embarrass themselves, but just kind of keep your tally on your own. Which of these lyrics do you think belongs to a love song or to a contemporary worship song? So you can kind of tally this yourself. Here's one. Lay back against you and breathe. Hear your heartbeat. This love is so deep, it's more than I can stand. Another, capture my heart again. Your love is extravagant. Your friendship, it's intimate. Worship song or love song? This one's embarrassing to say. A sloppy wet kiss and my heart turns violently inside of my chest. And then I'll give you one more. We're going all the way. And the wonder of it all is that I'm living just to fall more in love with you. Now those are four lyrics. And those lyrics come from four contemporary worship songs. None of them are from love songs. It was a depressing quiz to take. I did very poorly on it because I guess love song in every one of them. Because these lyrics, you, you heard them. They talk about sloppy, wet kisses. They talk about this enthralled, intimate relationship that sounds like it's talking about a relationship between two people. And yet, this is much of what we hear in contemporary worship songs. Now, now I don't want to say that it's bad for us to sing about the love of God. What 
what fails in these songs miserably is not so much that they talk about love and God, it's that they don't talk about who the God is that loves. That they're completely void and absent of teaching us about the character of God and what the Scripture teaches us about God. And friends, if we don't know who God is, then we can't rightly understand what the love of God is. Unfortunately, these aren't the only songs we have to go on. Uh, The Scripture is filled with song and filled with hymns. And as we come to 2 Samuel 22, we come to a passage that is a song of David. And it is a song that is filled with teaching about God. It is a song that, that centers on who God is and what God has done. It is a song of David that teaches us so much about the character, about the acts of God. It's about the God who is worthy of our praise. It's about the God who hears us when we call. It's about the God who rescues us from disaster. It's about the God that we can learn more about as we open up his word and as we consider songs like this one. And so we're going to walk through the first part of this song today in hopes that we might learn these things about God. Beginning with that first one there in your outline, we're reminded from David's song that God is worthy of our praise. God is worthy of our praise. Now, as we come to the end of our study in First and Second Samuel, as we come to David's song, we're reminded of how we began this study. At the very beginning of First Samuel... We began not with a song, but with a prayer. It was with the prayer of Hannah, the mother of Samuel, long before David was even born. And listen to what Hannah prayed. My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derives from my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Hannah goes on in a prayer to talk about the character of God and and who God is, his faithfulness. And then she concludes her prayer by saying this, The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Now it's interesting that she prays that during a time when Israel had no king. But in that prayer, she is looking ahead. And what we see as we follow the story from the beginning of 1 Samuel to the end of 2 Samuel is we see how God answers Hannah's prayer. And then we come to the end of 2 Samuel here and we see that that her prayer is echoed in David's song. Because like Hannah, he speaks of God as a rock. He speaks of God who is one that is worthy to be praised. He says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield, the horn of my salvation. My stronghold and my refuge. My Savior, you saved me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And I am saved from my enemies. If you put those two things together, Hannah's prayer In David's song, you see a lot of similarities. And one of them is you see this reference to the Lord as a rock. 
It's a metaphor. It's a picture that we see used throughout the Scripture. It suggests God's strength and God's sovereignty. It's the security of those who trust in Him. He indeed is the rock. He uniquely is the rock. He, he, he is a sure and steady foundation for those who will trust in Him. He does not move and He does not change. And therefore, our faith can rest in Him. God is the rock who provides shelter and refuge. But that does not mean that for those who put their hope in Him that life is easy or somehow free from trial and suffering. I've shared with you the story before of Augustus Toplady. He was born in Ireland in 1740 during one of the greatest famines in the history of of Ireland, really in the history of our world. Almost half of Ireland's population died in 1740 and 1741 from the Great Potato Famine. He was born during famine. Shortly after his birth, his father died. He was raised by his widowed mother. He had every reason to be mad and angry at God, to be one whose heart was hardened towards God, to feel abandoned by God. But when he was 16 years old, he was walking home. He passed by a neighboring barn. And there was a preacher at that barn. And he was preaching the gospel of Jesus. And people gathered around, including young Augustus. And he heard the gospel and responded to the gospel and put his trust in Christ. But his life was not easy. It was filled with hardship, with despair. He suffered from poor health and he died in his early 30s of tuberculosis. But shortly before his death, he, he wrote this. It's words, I believe, that we find echoing the prayer of Hannah in the Song of David. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. And you probably recognize that from the hymn that we still sing today, Rock of Ages. And that hymn... Uh, Augustus would write about the saving work of Christ, about our inability to save ourselves, about how God is entirely worthy of our praise, regardless of what may come our way. He closed his hymn with this, While I draw this fleeting breath, when my eyes shall close in death, when I rise to worlds unknown, and behold thee on thy throne, rock of ages cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. What Augustus reminds us of in this hymn, what Hannah reminds us of in her, in her prayer, what David reminds us of in his song is that God indeed is the rock and that he is entirely worthy this day and every day of our praise. That does not mean that life is easy for those who trust in him. It does not mean that our lives are free from suffering and from child. What it means is God is entirely worthy of our praise. That he alone is the rock of ages. David says it. He is our fortress, our deliverer, our shield, and our refuge. Our very present help in our time of need. And he is absolutely worthy of our praise. And second thing we're reminded of. At the beginning of this song is point two there in your notes. God hears us when we call. He hears us when we call. So he, he is worthy to be called upon and we have the surety in the word that he hears us when we call. And it is important that we know that and that we remember that because 
at times we're tempted to wonder if he does. I mean, have you ever found yourself asking the question, God, do you hear me? Do you ever feel like you pray for the same thing over and over and over again? And it seems as if God's not listening to you. There doesn't seem to be a response. The thing you are praying for isn't coming to fruition. And you begin to wonder if your prayers are falling on deaf ears. Does God hear us when we pray? Is God listening to the cries of His children? Consider what David sings about here in verse 7. He says, In my distress I called upon the Lord. To my God I called. And from His temple He heard my voice. And my cry came to His ears. And then, consider what David sings about. What he reminds us of in God's response to hearing His prayers. In verse 8, there's an earthquake <laughs> In verses 9 through 13, he describes God's descent from the heavens with fire and dark clouds. It's a picture that we see in Exodus of when the, the holiness and the greatness and the splendor, the terrifying splendor of God descends on Mount Sinai. That's the picture we have here of this thunderous, fiery response. Verses 14 and following, there's thunder from heaven, there's arrows, there's lightning. David says in response to him crying out to God that this God of deliverance is a thunderous, sky-splitting, earth-shaking, enemy-bashing God. And he hears David's call and he responds to it. Now, consider what David says here about how God responds to his cry. Consider that in light of what we've learned about in David's life in First and Second Samuel. Consider how this looked in David's life because David called out to God a great deal. David knew a road of suffering and a road of trial. I mean, you'll recall at a very young age, he's anointed as king over Israel. But then he suffers and he suffers and he suffers. He's, he's pursued over and over again by Saul. He loses at times everything. His family, his friends. The only rock it seems he knows at times is the rock of the cave that he is hiding in so he's not killed. That there doesn't seem to be this picture of David praying. And immediately when David prays, this thunderous response from heaven. In fact, if you follow through the narrative, it seems, it feels at times like David is calling out to God and God is delayed in his response. And so David walks a long, hard road of suffering and he's hunted like a wild animal and he runs. David certainly probably felt like the earth was shaking at times, but it was shaking to the thunderous beat of the hooves of Saul's army who were pursuing him. He, again, knew a rock, but it was the rock he hid in. That the sky may have seemed to be opening up, but what it seemed was descending from the heavens was the wrath of God and suffering and trial and hardship over and over and over again. 
We've seen through David's long, hard road, his suffering and his grief. So how could David then sing? In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I called from his temple. He heard my voice and my cry came to his ears. I believe it's because David understood that regardless of his circumstances, God absolutely heard him when he called. And friend, if you have saving faith, in God through our Lord Jesus Christ today, then the surety and the confidence that you have and I have is that Christ has gone before us and that our cries, our calls, our prayers never fall on deaf ears. God hears, God listens. And the God who hears and the God who listens is very much the God who responds. And we can have this confidence because of Christ Jesus. 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. And so this Lord's Day, if you're a follower of Christ... And if you have repented of your sin and put your trust in Jesus, then you, you need not ask the question, God, are you listening? God, can you hear me? Because you, you can have confidence, the Scripture says. You, you have a, a guarantee. You, you have a seal of assurance through the Holy Spirit that God indeed hears you and hears me when we pray. And not only does He hear us, He responds that the God who hears us is the same thunderous, sky-splitting, earth-shaking, enemy-bashing God who David writes of in 2 Samuel 22. Therefore, we can hope in Him. And therefore, He is the only one that we can hope in because He's the only one who can save us and the only one who can rescue us. That brings us to point three there in your outline. God rescues us from disaster. And so David, as he, he writes first and prays first and sings first about how God is this rock and this fortress. And then as he, he reminds us that, that, that God is this, this earth-shaking, sky-splitting, enemy-bashing God who, who not only hears our prayer, but he, he responds to our prayer. That, that ultimately, the way we see this throughout God's Word and in our own experience is that God is the one who saves us from disaster. And listen to what he writes again at the end of this section. He says, he, he, God, sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Now, there's two things that David makes abundantly clear in this section. First, he makes it clear that he is unable to rescue himself. And second, he makes it clear that God is the one who rescues him. So let's just take a moment to look at them. David is unable to rescue 
himself. That the picture he gives here is of a person drowning in waters. He talks about being surrounded by the waters. He, he talks about enemies as if they are waves that are overtaking him. He talks about how they're too mighty and they're too strong. He, he cannot pull himself out. Many of you have been to the coast before and you've probably seen signs that warn about the danger of rip currents. I grew up on the coast of North Carolina. I was very familiar with these signs, these warnings, at times these red flags that would be put out because there were, there were dangerous rip currents in the water. And if you don't know, a rip current is a, is a powerful current that flows from the shoreline out into the ocean. And based on at least one article I read, rip currents account for 80% of the rescues by lifeguards along the coast. They're the most dangerous thing to those who go swimming in the ocean. I remember during my teenage years talking to a lifeguard about these things. I was a swimmer. Uh, I know you can probably tell from me this morning I was a high school athlete. And no surprise there uh, that I swam. I consider myself a pretty good swimmer. And so I was talking to a lifeguard about these rip currents and are they really that dangerous. And, and kind of, you know, there's this boastful, prideful teenager thing. Well, I could swim out of a rip current. And I remember saying to me, well, actually, they're, they're most dangerous for people who can swim well. Because those are the ones who fight against them the most. See, for those who can't swim very well, usually the current will pull them out, loop them around, and then they can go out and rescue them. But for those who feel, who have a false confidence that they can swim through it and swim out of it, are usually the ones who swim into the point of exhaustion against something they cannot beat until eventually they are pulled under and they drown. Over 100, year, 100 people a year drowned from rip currents. Here we have this picture that David gives of, of the God who saves him. And the picture here is that David can't save himself. And in fact, any effort he makes to save himself, to rescue himself, will likely even more lead to his demise. He's in a, unable to save himself. And friends... As we consider that in light of what the scripture teaches us about the gospel, it is a vivid reminder for us that we cannot save ourselves either. And what's most dangerous in our world today, what's most dangerous in our faith today, what perhaps is most dangerous in our church today, is this notion that at times we have, that the more religious we can be, that the, more, the, the better we are at religion, the more spiritual we are, that, that we can fight our way out of it, we can swim our way out of it, that we can conquer sin on our own, that somehow we can save ourselves. Well, I'm, I'm just committed to not doing this anymore. I promise I'll never do that again. And how often do we say that only to find ourselves do that again? See, we, we cannot defeat sin in the flesh. We cannot earn our righteousness. We cannot cover our own sin. It's a lesson learned in the garden as Adam and Eve made that attempt. It's a lesson learned throughout the scripture as thousands upon thousands of others would make that attempt. It is a lesson for us today. That our only hope, our only means of salvation is the God who rescues us through his son Jesus. And that we need to stop 
swimming against the current and vowing and battling our way through it. And we need to surrender ourselves to the God who rescues and to the God who saves. It's the picture we see here in this passage of the God who does that very thing. He rescues David. David says that the Lord reaches down. He, he snatches him out of the water. Now again, consider what this practically looked like in David's life. <laughs> this doesn't mean that David didn't suffer. This doesn't mean that at the first cry that God just removed David from trial and hardship in his life. I mean, when you just chronicle the life of David, when you walk through and consider how many people he loved and cared for died, how much suffering he endured, and, and yes, some of it was self-inflicted suffering. But other times it wasn't. But other times it was under the sovereign hand of God who allowed it. The God that David was crying out to for rescue. But make no doubt about it. That God did indeed rescue David. And he did indeed deliver David. And he was indeed worthy of David's praise. And that's why we have 2 Samuel 22. Because while it was not fast and it was not easy, David was rescued by God. David was delivered by God. In God's timing and according to God's plan, God rescued David. And the same God that rescued David is the God who is still rescuing us today. We read earlier, Pastor David did, about how God rescues us today. I'll remind you again of those words from John chapter 3. How does God rescue us? Well, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Saved through Him. That Greek word can be translated rescued through Him. Christ indeed is our rescue. He is our salvation. That doesn't mean that life will be easy. And it doesn't mean that at times it won't feel like a rip current is pulling us out to sea. But it, what it means is that God will not let us drown. That he indeed is the God who saves. He is the God who delivers. What it means is that when we hope and trust in the God who saves and the God who delivers, that this God will indeed rescue us. And one day... All this suffering, all this hardship, all these trials, they will come to an end. Ultimately, when we read about this deliverance that David experiences from God, we too have this deliverance in Christ Jesus, and we will have it in its fullness in a new heaven and a new earth. You might not feel entirely delivered today. You may be suffering hardship and suffering today, but let me remind you this morning of a day that is coming. Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I'm going to add to that daylight savings time was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with him, 
and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Brother and sister, these words are trustworthy and true. And therefore today, we can have hope. And therefore tomorrow, we can have hope. Hope in the God who delivers us. Hope in the God who rescues us. Hope in the God who through Christ Jesus one day will make this declaration and all things will be made new. And so we invite you today to put your hope in him. If you would stand together as I pray for us to that end. Father, help us today for our hope to be in nothing less than in Jesus' blood and righteousness. Help us, Lord, not to hope in other things, other people. Help us, Lord, to trust in Christ and Christ alone. Help us, Lord, not to see you primarily through our circumstances. Help us to see you as you declare yourself to us through your word that we might then interpret and understand our circumstances in light of who you are, what you have done, and what you will do. Help us, Lord, today to hold fast to this word that is trustworthy and true and to long for the day when Christ makes all things new. We ask that you would do this today and each day. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, church family and friends, we're going to sing about God's grace and what an amazing grace it is that he has offered us. And if you've yet to respond to that grace, to put your trust and your hope in Jesus, then we invite you today to do that very thing. I'll be available as we're worshiping and singing to counsel with you, to talk with you more about the gospel. Perhaps God has, has brought you to that point of confessing Christ is your Lord, and you want to come share that with our church family today. Take that next step in believer's baptism. Perhaps God's leading you to come and join this church family. It just may be that you need someone to pray with you and for you, or that you need to just stand there and sing about the amazing grace of God. Whatever it might be, we invite you now to respond to God's word as we lift our voices together and sing about his grace.